Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Thank you so much for tuning into Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely what Hans Holbein would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week's runs a mysterious discovery from Edinburgh, Scotland, one that kind of ticks off most of the genres covered on this show. Before we sail into this topic, I'll cover a little bit of housekeeping and then I'll fill you in on what I need a distraction from this week. Feel free to skip ahead a couple minutes if you just want to get right into the episode. In terms of housekeeping, just want to give a heads up that there's a new Weird Spam episode coming out on July 15th. Weird Spam is a monthly bonus series for the Here for the Weird tier patrons. And let me tell you, it's always a good time on that series. Most episodes include a guest and I reading weird, spammy emails received in our junk mailboxes, and basically just roast scammers attempting to try and fool us. Consider it a lighter, comedic version of the show that doesn't hyper-focus on a specific case or location. If this sounds up your alley, consider joining this tier over at www.patreon.com slash podcast. Finally, for housekeeping, I will be playing a promo from a Nefarious Nightmare podcast in today's episode, so make sure to stay tuned to hear it. In terms of my need for a distraction, I would have to say it's pretty boring this week again. I've just been finding myself very busy, very tired. It's also extremely hot outside. And look, not to be whiny because I know probably a couple months ago I was complaining about how cold it is, but it's to the point where it's almost too hot. You know, it's too hot to even function as a human being outside. So that's my need for distraction. Hopefully everyone out there that is also dealing with the heat is staying cool, you're staying hydrated, and you're wearing lots and lots of sunscreen because let me tell you, sunscreen is going to be your best friend forever. You can put money on that. Anyways, with all of this out of the way, I think it's time to just dive right into this week's distraction. I'm really excited to be back discussing a Scottish-based distraction this week because it feels as if it's been so long since I covered one on the show. Scotland is still a country I would like to visit someday, and if anyone has any suggestions regarding where specifically to visit and what to do there or when to visit, my inbox is always open, especially if it's a haunted location because it may just end up being discussed on this little podcast. But enough chit-chat, let's cut to the chase. This week, as the title of the episode states, I'm going to tackle the Edinburgh Fairy Coffins, also referred to as Edinburgh's Miniature Coffins or the Lilliputian Coffins. Due to potential coarse language and other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised.
This week's case takes us back to the riveting year of 1836, the year that saw the inventions of the propeller, the revolver, and the telegraph. Considerably, it was a year of great discoveries all over the world. And Arthur's Seat near Edinburgh was also part of that. Now, Arthur's Seat is an ancient volcano, which is the main peak of a group of hills in Edinburgh. It's just under 20 minutes away from the Edinburgh Castle for those that are trying to map it out in their head. This location has quite the folklore surrounding it, with one resource claiming it was possibly the site of King Arthur's fabled Camelot, which may be why it's named Arthur's Seat. Some resources have also stated it was once the home to the Celtic Vadadini tribe in 400 AD. But let's get back to 1836, though, and today's primary focus. The weird discovery I'm going to be hyper-focusing on today takes place specifically on June 25th of 1836 and involved a group of boys who apparently were roaming around the slopes of Arthur's Seat to hunt for rabbits. Accounts vary on how many boys specifically were in this so-called group. Some claim it was more or less to that number. Nonetheless, these unknown boys had their eyes and feet wandering throughout Arthur's Seat, hearts pitter-pattering with the hope that they will catch something. Before they knew it, they became captured by the intruder of a secluded small cave on the northeast side of the hill. The cave was apparently hidden behind three to seven pointed slabs of slate, with accounts varying, of course, and behind this contained 17 miniature coffins. The National Museum Scotland website described the coffins as follows in a direct quote. The tiny coffins were arranged under slates in three tiers two tiers of eight and one solitary coffin on the top. Each coffin, only 95 millimeters in length, contained a little wooden figure carved and dressed in custom-made clothes that had been stitched and glued around them, end quote. Startled and probably confused, the boys more than likely gandered at their macabre discovery with quite the wonder. The tellings of this tale state that the boys reportedly informed their school headmaster, a man referred to as Mr. Ferguson, who just so happened to be a member of the local archaeological society. I'm not sure if Mr. Ferguson took the coffins right then and there, as there are some details of the tale I couldn't clarify in my research due to discrepancies. For example, the Hypnogoria website noted the following in a direct quote, Boys being boys, the careful processes and procedures of archaeology were roundly ignored and instead they made sport with the mysterious little male figures. In other words, they probably decided to play football with the little miniature figures and I'm sure there were some casualties in the mix. Regardless, by July 16th of that year, the story of the dubbed fairy coffins was hitting the newsstands. Locals began ogling at the latest unsolved mystery that would even have Robert Stack scratching his head. No one seemed to have an immediate answer as to what these coffins were, what they meant, and who put them there. The mystery of the coffins led many to want to get up close and personal with them to try and solve the mystery themselves, or just to show them off. Writer Susie Lennox noted on her website, My Macabre Road Trip, jeweler Robert Frazier was the first recipient of the coffins, with another resource claiming that our homeboy, Mr. Ferguson, gave the coffins to him. Robert supposedly did what many would probably do in that scenario. He put them on display in his own private museum, aka this has got to be like the OG spooky museum, so take that Ed and Lorraine Warren. Robert reportedly had the coffins up until 1845, when they were auctioned off to private collectors for around four pounds each. 
By 1901, a woman named Christina Cooper of Dumfrieshire gifted a set of eight coffins to the National Museum of Scotland, where they continue to be held 122 years later. I'm assuming without any mention of them, the other nine coffins have been lost to time or to that silly football game those boys were playing with them originally. Despite this, since their discovery, many have speculated wildly over various theories as to their being. Before diving into those theories, I will go over a couple of findings I came across which were made in 1994, aka a fabulous year, by researchers Alan Simpson and Samuel Menefee. Simpson and Menefee reportedly believed that one person was responsible for carving the male figure, for carving the figures, but it could have been two people behind, behind making the coffins. So one person maybe did all the work making the figurines, but when it came to the coffins, it was definitely a two-person job. As to what the little bodies in the coffins were, apparently the duo thought that the figures were toy soldiers that were perhaps dead ones due to the eyes being closed and, well, corpses don't typically keep their eyes open. That was their kind of theory as to what they represented. Simpson and Menefee also believed the artists or artistes were not super skilled woodcarvers as the coffins and the little bodies inside them lacked the tools to refine the carvings. Yes, what they created was interesting, but it wasn't really up to par with what a skilled woodcarver would have been able to produce. Speaking of wood, the figures are allegedly made of white wood, while the coffins are carved from Scottish pine. Weird little tidbit of information, but hey, the more you know, and well, welcome to the show. Moving forward, the figures were described as being male-presenting and have been continuously described as such due to the clothes they have. And listen, I don't understand this call, but many of the resources had mentioned this, and it will come up in the theory section, so I'm just kind of regurgitating it, and we'll circle back to this kind of weird little bit of descriptive detail. Perhaps the most interesting, the investigative duo thought the figures in our beloved weird mini coffins were created by a shoemaker or a cobbler between 1800 to 1830. I think it's really impressive that Simpson and Menefee just came to these conclusions based on their observations of the coffins. Personally, I would be like, okay, someone made this because they were in quarantine and already went through their sourdough bread baking phase. So clearly, I'm not the person to call it in this situation. But speaking of impressive, I'm about to take us into some of the alternative theories behind the fairy coffins. But before that, I have a promo from a Nefarious Nightmare podcast that I would love to share with you all. Stick around to learn more about the show, and I'll be right back. A Nefarious Nightmare is a true crime podcast focusing on lesser-known crimes and crimes against those deemed extra vulnerable. Every now and then, we cover more well-known crimes due to the fact that it is relevant or even interesting regarding the cases we cover. And the B is a symbol for all victims as we recognize their strength, resilience, and vulnerability. So join us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast platform. Remember, when you mess with the bees... You get the hive. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed hearing from a Nefarious Nightmare podcast, and I hope you're ready for some weird theories. As we know from previous episodes, with every mystery comes some kind of theory to try and rationalize it. Even if the theory isn't very rational to everyone, to someone out there, it is or it once was. 
When it comes to the miniature coffins, everyone wants to come to a conclusion as to who, what, when, where, and why. The first theory, to probable no surprise to anyone listening, involves witchcraft. Apparently, an old-timey article in The Scotsman noted the following in a direct quote taken from a Mental Floss article. Quote, Our own opinion would be, had we not some years ago abjured witchcraft and demonology, that there are still some of the weird sisters hovering about Mushat's Karn or the Windy Gowl, who retain their ancient power to work the spells of death by attuming the likeness of those they wish to destroy. End quote. So, who is in favor of naming Weird Distractions listeners as Weird Sisters? Because I feel like that would be fun. Anyways, the discovery of the coffins did take place after the publicly known witch hunt era, and Edinburgh was no different than other places around the world when it did come down to its witchcraft hysteria. Between the 16th and 18th centuries, upwards of 4,000 people were reportedly tortured, convicted, and executed as witches, with the situation in Edinburgh being described by one resource as particularly tragic. This is due to how alleged witches in Edinburgh were being dealt with, as there was a high number of accused folks being strangled and burnt at the stake on Edinburgh Castle's Esplanade than anywhere else in the country. Their deaths were also made very public, which I feel like took place in many different places, but the fact that it was at the castle's Esplanade was, I don't know, just a little darker than maybe other places. Correct me if I'm wrong. When it comes to the coffins, though, there have been no factual ties that any form of witchcraft has been connected to them. As spooky as they are, the witches, I don't think, have anything to do with it. Moving on to the next theory, it's definitely darker than the first and involves two names that were mentioned the last time Weird Distractions chatted about Edinburgh. During the 19th century, our favorite Scottish city, like others across the globe, had developed an underground trading business that one resource described as thriving. This thriving trading business was the business of trading dead bodies, once an uncle, now a cadaver for a medical student. Two men involved in this business in Edinburgh were William Burke and William Hare, who we first met on the show back in episode 58 when former host Christy and I chatted about the Edinburgh vaults. For those who haven't heard that episode yet, which I don't really blame you, the audio in early episodes is a lot to digest. William Burke and William Hare were two serial killers active in Edinburgh between 1827 and 1828. The University of Edinburgh explained the pair's ill doings further with the following quote from their website. Quote, They famously sold their victims' bodies to Dr. Robert Knox, an influential lecturer in our anatomy department at the University of Edinburgh. So basically, Burke and Hare were kind of contributing to the school in a very macabre and very criminal way, and it only got worse as they carried on. Originally, Burke and Hare started their dealings by getting bodies through grave robbing, aka stealing bodies of people who were already dead. But then they turned it up a notch and began murdering people. Burke was eventually hanged for his part in the duo's crimes on January 28th of 1829, and Hare, well, no one really knows where Hare went. Part of me still wants to deep dive into this case as its own separate episode, but I'm not sure when and how, and maybe if it's just been done too many times before and doesn't need its own rendition on the podcast, but any feedback is appreciated if you think I should maybe just take the plunge and cover Burke and Hare on the show sometime. But you might be wondering, 
wondering, how do two serial killers have anything to do with the fairy coffins? First of all, the timing of when Menifee and Simpson believed the deposit of the fairy coffins into Arthur's seat took place sometime between 1800 in 1830. Now, Burke died in 1829, but maybe Hare was responsible for leaving these little trinkets behind, or maybe they both did, who knows when, maybe before Burke's death. Another aha moment that happened for Menifee and Simpson was the number of coffins. Originally, there were 17 in total when they were found in the cave, which matches the number of Burke and Hare victims, including the first who died of a natural death, as pointed out by a Mental Floss article. Some believe that Burke himself made the coffins as their woodworking and 10 decorations suggest the hand of a shoemaker. And if you're like, okay, that's great. What did Burke do for work? Well, our boy Burke was a shoemaker until he started dabbling in the old murder business. But a big question remains, why would Burke and Hare create these tiny coffins and was it to weirdly represent their victims? It's about to get a little bit religion-y, so hang tight as I try to explain this side of the theory. One notion states that the creation of the coffins could be tied to Resurrection Day, which, in Christianity, represents the opportunity for internal life. It's thought that Burke and Hare wanted to provide some kind of small dignity to the victims by means of having a, quote, complete body in order to resurrect on Resurrection Day. And direct quote by Menifee and Simpson used from the Mental Floss website, quote, It would not be unreasonable for some person or persons in the absence of 17 dissected bodies to wish to appropriate these dead, the majority of whom were murdered in atrocious circumstances by a form of burial to set their spirits at rest, end quote. It's not clear whether the resurrection bit has anything to actually do with the coffins, but I thought it was interesting and figured, you know what, I might as well mention it. But onwards to another weird addition to this theory. In December of 2014, a mysterious box was delivered to the National Museum of Scotland. It had no return address, it wasn't from Amazon, and inside was a detailed replica of one of the coffins found in 1836. Everything was the same, down to the itty-bitty details. From the writings of Alison Muir for the previously mentioned Mental Floss article, inside this box was a note included with the subject cryptically beginning with the Roman numerals representing the number 18. But that wasn't at all, and to explain that, here's a direct quote from the museum's website. Quote, Attached was a label quoting the chilling climax of Robert Louis Stevenson's short story, The Body Snatcher, from 1884, which weaves elements of the Burke and Hare story into a chilling supernatural tale, end quote. This made the museum staff, among others, think more heavily on the Burke and Hare theory even more now with this kind of weird 18th edition being added to the mix. Despite this very interesting notion, with its weird streams flowing through each avenue of possibility rapidly, there are a couple of holes in the Burke and Hare theory. The first hole is something kind of mundane, but an argument to be made, and it's involving gender. As mentioned earlier, the little figures within our beloved fairy-slash-miniature coffins have been described as looking like little men due to the clothes that are on the figures resembling men's clothing. Burke and Hare's victims were, reportedly, primarily women, so unless they just decide, heck it, no feminine clothes for you, it doesn't really match their victims to a T. On top of this, the figures all have been created with their eyes open, not closed like a corpse. 
which goes against the Burke and Hare theory, because technically by the time that they would get to the students, their eyes would be closed and they would be practice on. Needless to say, the Burke and Hare theory has remained as such, just a theory. The third theory I wanted to highlight today comes from historian Jeff Nisbet, who, in 2018, noted he believed that the coffins had ties with the Radical War of 1820. Quick history lesson, the Radical Rising, or the Radical War of 1820, also known as the Scottish Insurrection of 1820, was a week of strikes and unrest in Scotland that accumulated in the trial of a number of, quote, radicals for their crime of treason, according to the Scotland's People website. Jeff noted in his theory that the 17 coffins, the original 17, could have possibly symbolized the local members of this political movement and, more specifically, the, quote, flames of rebellion lit from the event. Jeff's theory has never been proven or disproven, so it continues to hang in the waters of possibility. Now, the final theory I wanted to mention today states that the miniature coffins are actually a memorial to deceased sailors. The Haunted Librarian website noted that a previous article in the Caledonian Mercury shared this theory way, way, way back when. And to be honest, on the outside looking in, it kind of sounds legit. However, this theory only holds water. <laughs> See what I did there? If there was a single tragedy that claimed the lives of 17 sailors, which the haunted librarian noted no such incident has ever been discovered, documented, or tied to the coffins in Scottish history. Again, a theory that will continue hanging within the waters of possibility until proven fact or fiction. All of these theories have their own points, some stronger than others, and at the end of the day, as I'm recording this, we still don't have a clear-cut answer as to where these coffins came from, why they are the way they are, and what meaning do they have, if any. On that note, it's time to wrap up this week's distraction. The mini coffins, aka the miniature coffins of Edinburgh, the fairy coffins, or whatever else you want to call them, are one of Edinburgh's biggest mysteries. Questions that come to mind regarding the miniature coffins include who created them? Why did they create them? What do they mean? When were they created? And are there more coffins out there somewhere? Are these the only ones? I wish I had the answers to tell you all, but unfortunately, I do not. And who knows if any of us will? I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode over on the podcast social media accounts or by email. If you've ever been to the National Museums of Scotland and witnessed these tiny weird wonders, I would also love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, 
the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distraction series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.